Thank you. You may be seated. And at this time, you see Miss Amy to my left. Any of the kids that would like to go out, uh, they are welcome to head to Children's Church. Again, some of them will meet out in the hallway. Some will come through the sanctuary. It is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord with you today, to be able to worship God. And I believe today that he is still answering prayer and still doing great things. First, let me say today that uh, today's sermon feels a little bit different for me than what it normally does. Instead of a sermon, it's going to feel, at least to me, more like a conversation, but one of those conversations where, and if you've ever been in this conversation, you know what it's like, where one person talks and they never give you the chance to talk. I'm not going to give you the chance to talk this morning, but I do feel like this is a little more of a conversation than a sermon. I do want to begin today by reminding you of who we are as a church. We exist for the purpose of reaching those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Even within the church, there are many. There are many who are not actively pursuing Christ with all of their lives. And I will tell you, as a part of the body of Christ, that is not acceptable. We believe that God has given us a call to reach at least 53 people over the course of this year simply because there were 53 Sundays on the calendar. And I believe that that's a reasonable expectation. We are actually over halfway there to reaching that goal within this church. So I celebrate that. I'll also add that it's about more than just seeing people say yes to Jesus. This is about seeing lives changed. We want to see people grow in their faith. Individuals who make that decision to follow Christ, we want to see them become all that God would have them be. We want to see families that are transformed. We've got two baptism services that are coming up. We've got one the first week of July. We've got one the first week of August. And it's an opportunity for us to celebrate the lives that are being changed. What a blessing to know that God is still saving people still transforming lives and cleansing us from our sin. And I so look forward to those opportunities because each time an individual is baptized, it is a testimony that God is still in the transforming business. So I hope that you are excited about that, but I also pray that we as a church will be that church that constantly thinks that way. Now, in 1996, a new thing happened on television. Some of y'all remember it. Actually, in the second service, most of the people in there won't even know what happened in 1996 because they probably weren't here yet. Actually, it was a network that's entitled Nickelodeon, and they started a new program that was called Nick at Night. Some of you probably have heard of it. Well, today we're going to take one more look at the original Nick at Night conversation. Of course, I'm talking about Nicodemus, who came at night to have a conversation with Jesus, the one who, according to his own words, must be of God. Though humanity has had over 2,000 years to reflect on the significance of Nicodemus' question on how to be born again, there are still many people in this world who do not know or are unwilling to embrace the answer to this question. Nicodemus was a distinguished Jew. He was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling council. And yet the pathway to God remained very elusive for him. 
He had always been taught the criteria for salvation was to be a descendant of Abraham. He had to be a Jew, and he had to faithfully keep the law of Moses. But now, one whose sandals that even John the Baptist was unworthy to tie or untie was stating that the only prerequisite to entering the kingdom of God was to be born again. What a foreign message. Even to an astute theologian like Nicodemus, this would have seemed ridiculous. For how could a person enter a mother's womb a second time? This is a question that every person must answer at some point or another. None are righteous. And salvation comes not because of what we have earned but by the grace of Jesus Christ. I've tried to clearly address this over the past two weeks. Today, I want to close out that series. Christ told Nicodemus to pass from death to life. One simply must be born again by the water and the spirit, which only happens when a person has faith in the atoning sacrifice of God's one and only son, Jesus. And while he does not see, this does not seem like much of a price, to feast at the Lord's table for all of eternity. It came at a great price. It just wasn't you who was paying it. Instead, it was Jesus himself who gave his life. And as I close out this series today, I want to challenge you in two ways. First, to those who have not yet stepped into the Lord's glorious light, I implore you on Christ's behalf to become born again by the Spirit so that you might share in the hope that we have. I hope you understand that I don't just get up here and do this because I'm supposed to say something. I do this because I know what God can do in an individual's life because I have experienced it. And I know I'm not the only one in this room who can say that. And if you have not yet experienced the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, I beg of you today to enter into that relationship. But I also today want to encourage those who are born again. Many of us have not been as faithful as we ought to, and maybe today is the day where we declare, I want to be faithful for every day moving forward. We have a prize that is worth waiting for. So don't get weary in doing what is good. Stay the course. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, for his return is near. I want to get back to our passage that we've been in over the last couple of weeks. It comes from John chapter 3. We see a back and forth conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. See, Jesus at least gave Nicodemus the opportunity to talk. I'm not doing that to you. But Jesus did give him that opportunity. Jesus had told him that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, a person must be born again. And in response, Nicodemus is completely lost. What are you talking about? How can a person be born again? His first thought was probably, Jesus, you're not making any sense. But the truth be told, Jesus was making perfect sense. The problem was that Nicodemus was looking at things through the wrong lens. Listen to it this morning as I pick up the reading in verse 12. Again, I'm in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. I have spoken to you of earthly things. And you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Let me just say that there is a reference there to Moses lifting up a snake. It takes the, the reader back to a time where the Israelites faced death. And basically, a snake was held up as a symbol. And if the people looked upon that snake, they would be cured. They would be delivered. So that's the reference that's there. Remember, this is John chapter 3. Jesus has not yet been crucified. So when he talks about the Son of Man being lifted up, he is referring to something that will happen about three years later. This is very early in his ministry. The day is coming where Jesus will be lifted up. And we know that it is that sacrifice, Jesus being lifted up on the cross, that makes a way for all of humanity to be saved, to be cured of the disease called sin. Now, I will say that there are Many things that come to mind when I read this passage. First, I'm drawn to the foolishness of the gospel. At least that's the way it seems to those who are without Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The idea that salvation could be a free gift from God doesn't seem to make sense to those of other faiths who are often trying to earn their way into heaven. Likewise, the idea of personal sacrifice today in preparation for an eternal reward that we may not receive for many, many years just sounds crazy to people. And imagine how foolish the early Christian martyrs looked as they went to their deaths for a God that seemed powerless to save them. But they really weren't foolish. It just seemed that way to a watching world. It's almost like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 as they prepared to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They confirmed to the king that they know that their God is able to save them. But even if he does not, they declare... We want you to know, O king, that we will not bow down and worship your image of gold. Have you ever thought about how foolish they would have appeared if God did not show up and perform a miracle that day? Of course, we know that he does. But I would just say that they still are not foolish, even if God allowed them to die that day. Instead, these are just men who have made the decision that no matter what they face, they're going to remain faithful to the Lord. And if that seems foolish, then so be it. But I would choose that kind of foolishness any day. But let me tell you one other thing that seems foolish to the outside world. It's not just the message that seems foolish. Sometimes it is the practice Author Brennan Manning once said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We're talking about the gospel being foolishness. The foolishness often comes not because of the gospel itself, but because of those who are delivering the gospel. 
Because often our lives do not measure up with what we proclaim. What a tragedy. Church, this must never define us. A born-again believer must be a transformed believer. But what makes this conversation with Nicodemus so significant is the fact that we're not talking about someone who had never focused on the Lord. This wasn't just anybody. He's a theologian. He's a religious leader and a teacher. Yet as Jesus begins to speak, Nicodemus is completely clueless. It's like Jesus is speaking a different language. Y'all know that none of my kids are shy. Uh, Most of y'all know them fairly well. They've always been the kind of kids who would talk to anybody. The idea of stranger danger was always a struggle for us. They figured that after they taught with a stranger, they weren't a stranger anymore. Well, that's a dangerous thing. I will also say that sometimes this made me a little nervous, not just because of the type of people that they were greeting, but often because of what they might say. On one occasion, I know this one was Andrew. We were at a pizza hut. He was very young, and he noticed that a couple at a nearby table was preparing to eat, but they didn't pray for their food. And so he began to call them out and even interrogate them as to why they didn't do it and to tell them that next time they needed to make sure they did. On another occasion, we were walking past a storefront where there were employees taking a smoke break. On that occasion, he didn't speak to them, but he said very loudly to me, So that they definitely heard, I don't think it was intentional, but maybe it was, they stink. (laughs) I will say that I did not correct him, but instead I explained that it's what happens when you choose to smoke, and I told him not to smoke. So a little bit off track here, but anyways, I think it was Andrew or it could have been Michael who did this. We were walking into a Walmart one day. And there was an elderly Chinese couple sitting near the entrance, apparently waiting for their ride. And whichever son it was, they wanted to greet this couple. As we approached, I hear him say, hola. (laughs) Of course, we just continue to walk with me kind of laughing. And then I hear him say to me, I just told them hello in Chinese. (laughs) I didn't have the heart to tell him that he just spoke in Spanish and that Spanish and Chinese are not the same. But as Jesus and Nicodemus speak, it sounds like Jesus is speaking a foreign language. Their minds are not in tune with each other. One is thinking about things from an earthly human perspective, while the other is thinking spiritually. In fact, I'm not going to read it, but earlier in this passage, Jesus has even attempted to simplify to Nicodemus, comparing the Spirit's coming to the wind. I imagine there was a breeze that was coming through, and Jesus used that to point out that the Spirit comes, and the way it comes, you don't have to understand, you simply accept. But Nicodemus still doesn't understand. So Jesus says to him, and what I've read to you already, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? 
Or maybe the problem isn't that Nicodemus has poor listening skills, that they're speaking a different language. Instead, perhaps he is simply looking through the wrong lens. And I think that maybe we can relate to Nicodemus and his condition better than we realize. In fact, I want you to put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. Can you imagine the things that he had seen? As a religious leader serving in the temple, he has likely seen many people who come in seeking cleansing and healing because of some disease, yet he was powerless to provide it. He has probably seen many more folks who have come who were demon-possessed, Yet all the religion in the world has proven powerless to set them free. Maybe even in his own household. It's hard to understand spiritual things when we're so blinded by all the physical things or the emotional things that dominate our minds and our hearts. I think of a mom who's distraught over a wayward son who's worried that he will never come back. Think of a husband who's worried that he's about to lose his job. How will I provide for my family? Or the one whose health or lack of health has created so many question marks in recent days. Sometimes it's hard to dwell on heavenly things when you've got earthly things that need attention right now. Listen to a few verses that deal with this. The first comes from the Apostle Paul, one who endured much suffering simply because he remained faithful to the Lord. In Romans 8.18, he said, I consider that our present sufferings, you hear that? We're talking about the Apostle Paul. He was suffering. I've heard people say that if you follow Christ, you won't have to deal with all of that. Well, Paul got cheated. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then it was Peter who said in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7, that in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They've come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. But they suffered grief in all kinds of trials. Can you imagine being these New Testament believers? They've been told to trust in the Lord. They've been told to wait upon the Lord, and he will return for them. But in the meantime... They are suffering much grief and punishment. Again, it's pretty easy to get our eyes fixed on the suffering of our world and forget the reward that is to come because it seems so far off. Or even in the, New Test the Old Testament, we see the same thing. In Joshua chapter 1, God is trying to prepare Joshua to be able to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And as he does, he is pointing out that this will not be an easy road. It's going to be difficult, and there will probably be days that you want to quit. But in Joshua 1.9, God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Why is he saying this? It's 
because God knows that there will be days that the earthly battle will seem too big. But God says, I've got your back even then. I'm not going to abandon you. Finally, I got one more verse, one more passage that deals with this. It comes from Hebrews chapter 12, where the Lord instructs God's people to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Again, the idea is that we need to change lenses, stop just looking at the crisis that sits in front of us. Instead, look to the God who is faithful and just, who has provided for you over and over again, the God who is still God, even in the midst of crisis. So Jesus addresses the fact that Nicodemus is struggling with the earthly things. And if you can't grab hold of the earthly things, how are you going to grab hold of the heavenly things that I want to talk about? Now, maybe this is actually a reference to the real reason Nicodemus came to Jesus in the first place. Remember that Jesus didn't wait. We talked about it last week. He didn't wait for Nicodemus to ask a question. The moment he comes, Jesus begins to address him. Jesus started talking about being born again. Maybe Nicodemus came that day or that night to talk about heaven or the kingdom of God. In fact, this leads to one other thing. It's a part of looking through the wrong lens. I believe that there are many who come to God, but we come with our own agendas. We've got our own things we want to talk about, and God says, I want to talk about something else. We're like the woman at the well who knew she had some personal issues that needed to be addressed. She had been married five times, and the man she was living with now was not even her husband. She lived in a culture where she likely was despised by most people simply because of her promiscuity. Yet as Jesus begins to talk about personal things, she wants to know which mountain we should go and worship on. In other words, let's change the subject. It's getting too hot in here. It's getting too personal. Let's talk about something else. I'm going to tell you that God longs to address the true needs in your heart. He longs to address all the sin that you've allowed to dominate in your life. But too many of us want to talk about theology or whether we should use King James Version Bibles versus NIV or the kind of music that we ought to sing or how somebody else has done us wrong. And maybe all of those things do at some point need to be addressed. But maybe it's time for us to look through a different lens to start seeing things the way that God sees them, not with our agenda, but with his. You know, in the midst of all of those verses that I read to you earlier, I want you to notice something that was very important. I talked a lot about the suffering that was there, and they definitely are dealing with trials and tribulations. Yes, there was suffering that even the most godly of people had to endure, but their focus was still on what was to come. Paul talked about the glory that will be revealed in us. Peter talked about when Jesus Christ is revealed and Joshua promised that the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you get it? Yes, there will be suffering. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, 
the suffering is not the end. In fact, there is something far greater for us to look forward to. So it's time to change lenses. It may take you a while to get used to your new lenses. It may not, may not be easy. I remember when I first got these glasses. Y'all don't see me wear these very often. And part of it, I'll just be honest, it's because of pride. I don't like the idea of admitting, admitting that I'm getting old. Uh, but I probably should wear glasses. I got them. It's been about four or five years ago at this point. I had never worn glasses in my life. But I was amazed at the clarity that it brought to me. I could see some things that I didn't know existed. In fact, if I were to put these on, like I can see some of y'all like much better. Let me take them off real quick. Shoot, that was too much. <laughs> but I also remember walking out of the eye doctor's office with my glasses on. And when I went to step off the curb, I almost fell and broke my ankle. My eyes had not yet adjusted to the glasses and my perception was off. So it may take you a while to adjust to your new Jesus-centered lenses, but eventually you'll find that it actually changes your perspective on everything else. In fact, have you ever been around somebody who seemed to always talk about God? It seemed like no matter what was going on, they found a way to involve God in the conversation. They could turn the conversation back to the Lord no matter what it was. It could be something important like death of a loved one, and they immediately remind you that one day the dead in Christ will rise first, and what a privilege it will be for your loved one to be among the first to see the returning Savior. Wow, what a great promise, and I love hearing those kinds of things from people. But it's not always something big like that. It may be that, I don't know, oh, your shoes are untied. Oh, that reminds me, Jesus never had to worry about his shoes being untied. And I'm like, what in the world? Well, he wore sandals all the time. Okay, I get that. Maybe sometimes it feels like a forced conversation, but maybe it's not really. Maybe it's just that they've been looking through these spiritual lenses for so long that everything just naturally points to Jesus Christ. Everything just naturally points to heaven. In fact, that's what Jesus is doing with Nicodemus in this conversation. By the end of this conversation, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And even in the verses that we looked at, he's talking about eternal life. Again, it just seems like a natural conversation. Jesus pointing people to Jesus. It's what he did. So let's go there for just a moment. He points them to heaven. You've been looking through the wrong lens. Now, let's turn our attention to the long winds. When I say the long winds, I'm talking about something that it may not happen today. But somewhere down the road, the long wind is not what happens in the immediate, but way down the road, we've got eternal life that awaits us. Now, I know that I just preached on the beauty of heaven a few months ago, but I think that it's worth being reminded of what is to come. When we get our eyes off of how difficult this world is for us, we are free to look at what is to come, and it's good. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 tells us that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17, we read that for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That was what I referenced a minute ago. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So those are some pretty amazing promises that God has made to us. We will be with him in glory, and whether people are still living or they are dead, they will one day be brought back to his presence. Notice that I'm not even getting into the appearance of heaven. It's beautiful. Look at Revelations if you want to read some of it. John is looking at heaven and he's trying to reveal that to the rest of humanity, trying to put it into human terms, something that was so beautiful he had never experienced himself before then. We're not even talking about that. Instead, we are sharing with you what the best part will be. We will be in the presence of the Lord. How cool is that? If you're like me, you're probably thinking, I just want that to happen today, right now. I don't want this to be a someday conversation. I want it today. Over the years, I've had so many people share similar thoughts with me as a pastor. Often they are people who are in poor health, feeling trapped by disease and sickness, or sometimes even loneliness. In fact, I had one this past Sunday tell me that I'm tired of being sick. I just want to go home and be with Jesus. And I really respect and appreciate that statement, especially as this world can be full of pain and suffering as well as loneliness. There's no doubt that the presence of the Lord will be far greater than anything we could ever experience here. So there's this desire, I don't want to linger here, I want to go there. But apparently God is not done with you or I in this world. And as long as he leaves us here, you just be his tool. You be the blessing that God has created you to be. There will come a day where you will be called home either by death or because the Lord returns. And when that day comes, it's going to be awesome. But until that day comes, God is not through with you yet. So instead, we wait for his timing, which is always best. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, speak of that waiting. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good. We wait for our blessed hope, the appearing the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus. And while we wait, we are faithful to him. 
It's the same waiting that the author of Hebrews was referring to when he said in chapter 9, verse 28, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you waiting for the Lord? Maybe it seems that this is just taking too long. I'm not talking about the sermon, but I'm talking about Jesus coming back. If Jesus is going to come back, it's got to be soon. We look at the mess that this world is in, and it just seems like it can't get any worse. Maybe you think the Lord has waited too long as it is. But Paul tells us that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to the point of repentance to receive eternal life. The point is that God wants many, as many people as possible to be redeemed first. And then he'll put an end to the world as it is, but not yet. That's why James 5, 7 says, To be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So be patient. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize that is yet to come, and whenever that day comes, you will be ready. Luke 21, verse 28 says, When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. What a blessing. And in 1 Peter 4, 7, we read these instructions. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I remember many years ago when we were living in the Philadelphia area, I went to a football game. It was the Philadelphia Eagles versus the San Francisco 49ers. They were about to play, but the truth is it was a miserable day. It was ridiculously cold and snowy. It was brutal. But as we approached the stadium that day, there was a man who was holding up a sign. I imagine that he did this at every game, regardless of the weather. It simply said, prepare thyself, for the judgment of God is at hand. His message wasn't all that different from the one that John the Baptist presented just before Jesus appeared on the scene for the first time. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Let me repeat that verse from 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If you are not ready for the second coming of Christ, the kingdom of heaven that is at hand, then it is time to get ready. That means that you must surrender your life to him and allow him to become the Lord of your life. And then you must work and live every day in preparation for the great reward that is to come. Some of y'all know earlier this year I had the privilege of going on my first cruise. It was wonderful. As we prepared for that cruise, we did sort of a countdown. We're getting excited about the things that were to come. And you're looking forward to it. And every day you're getting just a little bit closer. Well, what if 
we looked at the return of Christ with that same kind of anticipation. I know we can't do a countdown because nobody knows the day nor the hour which the Lord's going to return. But what if every day we woke up with this desire to see the coming of the kingdom of heaven? Man, we ought to. If you are already ready for this day, then I simply challenge you today to stay ready. The end is at hand. I don't know when it'll be, but I guarantee it's a whole lot closer than it's ever been before. Y'all don't, some of y'all didn't know this, but I'm not supposed to talk about ages, sorry. Daly turned 31 yesterday. She's young enough where I think it's okay to talk about a woman's age. It's okay. I told her this morning, She's closer to 50 than she is 30 because she's never going to see 30 again. <laughs> I am a whole lot closer to the second coming of Christ than I am anything that's in my past because I believe there's something worth looking forward to in the future, and I'm going to keep looking to that. I hope you are too. If you would bow your heads with me, Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for you. We're grateful for the hope that we find in you. Lord, it may be that there are some here today that do not know you. And right now, Lord, I pray that you would introduce yourself to them. But I pray that you would forgive them of their sins, cleanse them from all unrighteousness, allow them to be born again, to start over. Lord, I pray right now for your forgiveness of sins. And with every head bowed and eye closed this morning, if you would say, Pastor, that's me, and I want that right now, would you simply raise your hand? I will not embarrass you, will not call you out. Thank you. You can put it back down. I'll pray for you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Father, right now, for the three individuals that just raised their hand, desiring to be born again, I pray that you would forgive them of their sins that you would cleanse them, and that from this moment forward, they would know the presence of a holy God within them. Thank you for the hope that they have in knowing that your forgiveness and your grace is being granted. Lord, I pray right now that you would purify hearts, guide their every step moving forward, that they would be able to live different from this moment forward. Lord, I pray that you would give them a sense of anticipation, looking forward to the day that you will return. Father, I pray for those who are already in the body of Christ today as well. Father, I pray that you would help us to never take the foot off the gas. Help us to continually look to you. And Lord, as that day approaches, may you find a people that are eagerly awaiting your return. Have your way in us, not just here in this service, not just at a camp, but have your way in our hearts every moment of our lives moving forward. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to know it is a blessing to be a part of the family of God, and it is a blessing to see lives that are being changed. This is a first, I just told you there were three people who raised their hands. This is not the end of their story. It's just the beginning. This is an opportunity to now build and to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Will you be a part of that with them? Or will you 
allow them to lead. I don't want them to lead. I want them to walk alongside us. We may need them to lead because some of us maybe haven't led the way we should and we need someone else to step up to the plate. But what I'd rather see us do is to lock arms and walk together so that we can cross that finish line as one. It's such a blessing to have you with us this morning, and I hope that you've sensed the presence of God here today. I know that I have, and I pray that you'll do the same thing next Sunday when you come back. Thank you for being with us. Go in peace.